Well, good evening. For those who don't know me, my name's Jeff Leader. I'm part of the ministry team here. Great to have you all here this evening. How's the light going? Is that sort of working all right for everybody? Would you like the big lights turned on? Kind of sets a nice tone, I think. But anyway, <laughs> uh, unless you're hard of eyesight. If you're an eyesight challenged and you'd like to read, that's probably about the, the thing there. Um, anyway, let's, uh, before I begin, let's uh, pray. Our topic tonight is grace. And uh, grace is amazing. And we're going to look at, uh, unpack that a little bit further tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are our, are our Lord and our God. We thank you that you've called us to be your children, that you welcome us with open arms, and that this is all through your grace. Our Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts tonight. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Help us to learn more of you and your will and purpose for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace. I think you can just define... I guess I want to start by defining grace. A couple of great passages talking about grace. I'm not going to dive too much into them, but I just want to refer to parts of those passages on the way through, just by way of word explanation. Grace, it's a bit of a term we throw around a lot, but what is it? Basically, it can be just defined very simply as God's unmerited favour. Now, as the passage pointed out, we actually can't earn God's favour. We can, can't work for it. We can't buy it. The Bible says simply that we are saved by grace. And that the only way to heaven is through the doorway of grace. Grace is amazing. We are simply saved by God's grace. The last verse of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18, says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Sorry. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Some versions have understanding instead of knowledge. Now, I think we can all understand how we can grow in the knowledge of Jesus. We read our Bibles, we walk with Jesus, he becomes a part of our lives. So we, we grow in knowledge, um, we study, we meditate, we share, we discuss the word. That's how we grow in knowledge of Jesus. But just what does it mean by how do we grow in grace? How do we grow in grace? What's that mean? That's what I want to look at a little bit further tonight. But first we have to understand how, how we receive the grace of God. And the Bible says in three simple words, by trusting Jesus. By trusting Jesus. That's how we receive grace. Grace. God made it, and God made it so simple that nobody could say it was too hard to understand. It's not like it's yeah, twenty-three steps and four pathways and eight guide roads and thirty-two rituals or hoops you've got to jump through. It just says, "Grace comes by trusting Jesus." That's it. It's as simple as putting our faith in Him. John 1.17 says, 
The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, grace is actually wrapped up in the person of Jesus. He's the source of grace. Grace and truth come through Jesus. If you don't get it through Jesus, you don't get it any other way. We don't get grace through religion or ritual, not even baptism or confirmation or communion or any of that stuff. We don't get grace through rules or regulations either. We get grace through a relationship with Jesus. Grace comes to us because of what Jesus has done by dying for our sins on the cross. And when we put our faith in him, we become a friend of God, we become a friend of Jesus by entering into this relationship, this very precious relationship with him. That's how we get the grace we need to live. Grace is free. All we have to do is to accept it. It's free, but it's not cheap. You see, grace is the most expensive commodity there is, or was, or ever will be. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, the God who created the universe, who spoke it into existence, this is Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross for you and me to pay for our sins. It's a gift of grace. Grace is free. It was freely given, voluntarily given by Jesus, but certainly was not cheap. When Jesus died on the cross, he did three things. Firstly, he paid the penalty for our sins, our rebellion from God. And because he did this, we are now forgiven. We don't have to carry a burden of guilt around anymore. We are forgiven. Secondly, he broke the power of sin and the devil. And what that means is that Jesus now gives us the power to stand against Satan, to stand against the things that, will, that seek to corrupt us, to bring, our, bring us down. He gives us the power to change our habits, the hurt, to forgive our hurts, to mend them up, face the hang-ups in our lives, things that mess us up. He broke the power of sin and the devil. And thirdly, he made us acceptable to God. And what that means is that we can look forward to being after we leave this earth, to being welcomed into heaven by God with open arms. He loves us as his precious children. And in his sight, we are perfect and therefore we're acceptable to him and Jesus has made us acceptable. This all comes through the grace of God. I want to tell you a little story about a prison near the city of San Juan Campos in Brazil because it beautifully illustrates what grace is all about and what happens when you allow your life to be run by God's grace. Some time ago, the Brazilian government turned this prison over to a group of Christians. They were told they could run it, and they could run it according to Christian principles. So they cleaned up the prison and renamed it Humanita. 
And with the exception of two full-time staff members, all the work there in that prison is done by the inmates. Families outside the prison uh, adopted an inmate to work with during and after their term. When Chuck Colson went and visited this prison, he said, and I'll quote, when I visited Human Eater, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gate and let me in. When I walked in, I saw men who were at peace with themselves and with God. I saw clean living areas. I saw people working industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings from Psalms and the Proverbs. My guide showing me around the prison escorted me to the notorious prison cell that was once used for torture. Today, he told me, that block houses one single inmate. And as we reached the end of a long concrete corridor, and he put the key in the lock, he paused and he said, are you sure you want to go in? Of course, I replied impatiently. I've been in isolation cells all over the world. And slowly he swung the massive door open and I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. It was a beautifully carved crucifix by the human, human eater inmates. The prisoner, Jesus, hanging on the cross. He's doing time for the rest of us, my guide said softly. I came across a similar story in a, um, a few about a month or so ago, another prison in the United States where a similar thing had happened. The grace of God transforming lives has transformed prison communities in various countries around the world. And you know, this is what the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus is all about. Jesus has served our time. He paid our penalty. He died in our place. Jesus took the punishment that... That should have been ours. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that awesome? You know, there's a little acronym people often use to remember the meaning of grace. It's uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. And you'd have to say, what's our response? What should our response be? And I reckon it should be nothing less than an emphatic Jesus, thank you, for your amazing, outrageous, inconceivable grace. And so in the light of what Jesus has done for us, that should be our response. In light of the fact that all those things that grace offers us are made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross, how should we respond? 2 Corinthians 6.1 helps us here. It says, and this is Paul writing, as God's co-workers, we urge you. Now, 
notice the, the urgency in Paul's words there. <clears throat> we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, do not let the grace you receive from God be for nothing. Don't waste it. So what do we owe Jesus? We owe him our life. We owe him all that we've got, all that we are, everything we own. We owe him everything. So coming back to the question I asked at the start, how do we grow in grace? Simple answer is that we, is that we, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> we, we simply become more like Jesus. That's how we grow in grace. You see, growing in grace has to do with our character and the qualities Peter mentions in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 7. Those character qualities of goodness, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. Or as Paul writes in Galatians 5, that referring to the fruit of the Spirit, same kind of thing. Things that should characterise a Christian's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you know, as we express these things in our life, as they become more and more part of us, we become more Christ-like in our attitudes and our behaviour. And in so doing, we grow in grace. These things are all outcomes of our expression of gratitude for God's grace. And our lives are meant to reflect the grace of God within us to those around us. Now, in practical terms, there are three ways we can express our gratitude to God for God's grace. Firstly, we can show our gratitude for God's grace by allowing it to govern the way we live and by making our lives count. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, Do, not, do you not know, oops, sorry, back, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Notice there that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is our empower, our enabler. We don't have to do all this on our own. That's another element of grace. God provides us, provides for us, He sustains us. But the fact the the reality is we can't keep living however we please, squandering what God paid for with such a high price. We can't understand the grace of God and just keep on living the same way we've always lived. We can't ignore his commands or waste our time on trivia or spend our money anywhere we think. We can't do that anymore. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us just so we could go on living any old way we wanted to. You see, he made us for a purpose. He died for us for a purpose. And he wants us to fulfill the purpose he has created us for. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
This is referring to the abilities and talents and the opportunities, the education and the freedom and the relationships and all the things that we have that bless our lives. These things weren't just given to be squandered. God expects us to use those for a purpose. And even if we change jobs, change careers over our lives, I don't think anything is wasted. Those experiences, when we go through the dark times, when we're troubled by all sorts of things, when the world seems to come crashing down on us, God doesn't waste those experiences. They are part of us, and God uses those things in our lives, sometimes in surprising ways. So don't waste your life because Jesus died for it. Make your life count. Secondly, we show our gratitude by allowing God's grace to govern the way we, we use what we have been given by becoming generous with our time, talent and treasures. 2 Corinthians 8-9, that's what was referred to earlier. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that through it, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you want a measure of how much you understand grace, if you want a measure of how much you are living by grace, if you want to measure how much you are grateful for grace, just look at your giving. In 2 Corinthians uh, 9, verse 7 and 8, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Just look at that verse and look at all the alls that are there. All, all grace, all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every or all good works. The Bible will be a lot poorer without that little three-letter word, all. But those are the promises made to anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who becomes like Christ. What was Christ like? What was Jesus like? He was a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. And I have to say, you're never going to become like Jesus until you learn to be like Jesus. You know, the Christian life can be summed up in three words. Love, serve, give. And until you learn to be generous with your time, your money, your life, your resources, your opportunities, you are not going to be like Jesus. And nothing is greater proof, proof that you understand grace than that you are lovingly gracious and generous to other people and to God. If you're feeling a little uncomfortable or uptight when we start talking about giving, it means, I have to say, it means you don't fully understand grace. Just look at that verse again. It says if you give cheerfully, liberally, abundantly, what's God going to do? He will take care of all your needs. 
all the, t- all the time and every way, however you need them. And I'd have to say, for us, when we've tithed and we've been generous in our hearts and our giving, our sacrificial giving, God has blessed us. And I've come across so many people in my, in my life who have been generous givers. And as they give generously, they don't, they find that they want for nothing. God supplies what they need. Sure, everybody has wants and dreams, but God supplies all our needs. He's promised to do that. We need to trust him to do that. So are you going to trust the God who gave his life for you? If you can trust him enough for salvation, can't you trust him enough with your finances? God asks us to give back to him. He uses the word tithe or giving a 10% of our, our income. That's just a guideline. And it's not because God needs the money. He, he actually doesn't. But he asks for us to, be, to give generously because he wants us to become more like him. He doesn't want us to be stingy, to have a stingy heart. He wants us to have a heart like Jesus. And the fact is, I can say I love God. I can sing that I trust God and put him first, that I glorify God, but my attitude but for my money, that can often show a real difference in our attitude. God wants us to become generous like him and he wants to make our life count. Those are just two ways to show gratitude and to grow in grace. The third is we can grow in grace by sharing the good news of grace. In Acts 20, 24, it says, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Notice it doesn't say the most important thing in life is to get married, to fund your retirement, to travel a lot, to have fun, to become famous or to pay off the house. It says the most important thing in life is to fulfill your mission. If Jesus died on the cross for you and for me and showed his grace to us so that we can fulfill our mission, then if you don't do that, then it's like a massive eternal waste. (coughs) And part of that mission, just part, not all, is to tell other people the good news of grace. God put us on this earth for a reason. He has a mission that only we can fulfill. But part of that mission, once you step across the line and become a Christian believer, is to tell other people, to share it. You know Jesus because somebody took the time to tell you. So my question is, who are you going to tell You know, if someone died for you, you'd want to know about it. And that if if the motivation behind everything we do, and, and that is the motivation behind everything we do here at New Life. You see, Jesus died for every single person in Oran Park, in Sydney, in Australia. In fact, for every single person around the world. And you know, this weekend, 
You know, the typical resident in Sydney will probably sit at home watching TV, watching the Commonwealth Games, with a coffee or a beer in hand, maybe with a newspaper, kick back and relax. Totally unaware that Jesus died for them, that the creator of the universe gave his life for them. Totally oblivious to that fact. And you know, if that person lives and dies without ever knowing that their sins are forgiven, then for that person, Jesus' death is a waste. A tragic, eternal waste. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God wants all people in his family. That's his heart's desire. Everybody needs Jesus because God cares, we must care. And one of the ways we can show gratitude for our own salvation is to share the good news of God's grace with other people because people are dying and dying for eternity, facing an eternity in hell without the grace of God. God doesn't want that to happen any more than we do. But they need to hear and somebody needs to tell them. So is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Who are you going to tell? We have our 316441 cards. John 3.16, pay for four people for one year. Uh, they're up the back. You can help yourself to as many as you like. But it's, it's, we have tools to encourage each other to pray for people we know who do not yet know Jesus as Lord. We need to first pray for them, care for them, connect to them, take the opportunity to communicate with them and then lead them into relationship with Jesus. Why not invite someone you care about to church? Someone you love, someone you're concerned that they go to heaven too and not just you. This is a great place to invite people to. We have a great facility and we have a wonderful group of people meeting here several times on a Sunday now. Well, soon to be. You know, this church is a very warm, welcoming place. But people need an invitation. They're just not going to come off their own bat. Start praying that God would open up your heart to see the faces of people around you who are desperate for the good news of new life in Christ. You know, they may be looking into all sorts of religious beliefs or trying to find a fulfilment in an affair, uh, perhaps their work or sport or in a hobby. And there's this gaping, God-shaped hole in their life that only the grace of God can fill. And we have the greatest news in the world the way we grow in grace after having received the amazing grace of God is by making our own lives count by living a life of extravagant generosity and by telling as many people as we can about the good news of new life in Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, forgive us for taking your grace for granted. Forgive us for being afraid to make our lives count for you and for not using the abilities and talents you've given us for ministry and service. Forgive us, Lord, for being afraid to tithe to give generously and to put you first in our finances. 
Forgive us for being afraid to identify ourselves as a follower of you in public. Father, we want to make our lives count for you. We want to commit the rest of our lives to using the life you gave us and serving you and fulfilling the purpose you made us for. We want to fulfil the mission you have given us. We want to become generous people, starting with tithing back to you in gratitude for all you've done. We want to trust you with our finances. And Lord, we want to be used in sharing the good news of your grace. Help us to make the most of those, the opportunities that you bring to us to share with people who cross our paths this week. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to die for us. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit so that our lives can, like Jesus, be lives of grace. And in your name I pray. Amen. Ah, oh, cute, eh? You can do the run. <laughs> okay, are there any questions? There's one up there, Isaiah. Thank you. Thank you. Just about tithing, would you say there's a difference between tithing and giving? What would you say the difference is there? What's the difference between tithing and giving? Um, they're kind of like the same. <laughs> uh, tithing, tithing just means a tenth. So we give a tenth of our income to the Lord's work. Um, it's generally suggested the Lord's work is seen as the work of the church. In Old Testament times, a tenth was given to the priests and they would use it in, um, well, to feed them, to support them as they served in the temple. It was also used for welfare, for feeding the widow, widows and people, widows, foreigners, aliens and that as well. So it was that welfare side of giving towards the church. But the other, the other aspect of giving is what's called sacrificial giving. It's where we give over and above the tithe. And we may do that to support um, uh, missionary organisations or a particular mission or uh, organisation that we are personally supporting. Um, some people give to um, support children, compassion children, for example, and uh, they often do that over and above their church giving. So, um, and God may call us to give towards a project or some other thing. And th that's often over and above the tithe. Okay, so, that help? Yep, good. Anyone else? Oh, I'm going to get off before someone thinks of a really curly question. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>